and welcome to the Middlemen Podcast. Two big guests this week as we came through the boxing and football as always. My name's Noah Abrahams. We look at things from a journalistic angle and boy, we've got a cracker for you. I'm Max Taylor and welcome, as Noah said, to our first double guest episode. We have former chief sports writer of the Daily Telegraph, Paul Hayward, and one of our very own boxing guru reporters, energetic, Irish and passionate Neve Campbell on later as well. Don't go anywhere, guys. It's a cracker. Uh, Max, I think it's only appropriate we start with Champions League action. Uh, we'll start with Liverpool, knocked out of the competition, 2-1 on aggregate, 0-0 on Tuesday night. Wasn't the most interesting game of football, I've got to say. <sighs> Look, you must be very disappointed, not only with the way you played in the 0-0, but across the two legs. Considering, actually, you, you've been a lot better in Europe previously than in the Premier League, it must be disappointing for you. Yeah, it's definitely a hard one to take, especially when you consider our form uh, before this tie against Real. You know, we had played well, we had looked good. The best football that we had been playing in these past four months had been in the Champions League. So there was high hopes for this one. And there was part of me that really almost expected us to edge it over Real. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew that we actually had a good chance going into it. But but when we talk about chances, not taking them was the story of the game Uh in this in the second leg with Liverpool, they couldn't, you know, uh, get get their shots on target and actually test the keeper when they needed to, and they, we we paid the price massively because it, it was always, you know, a, a hard thing to do make the comeback. Um, it's a hard thing to do when you're, you know, when it's the second leg and and you're, and you're losing. But you know, <laughs> if if uh, there's anything that Liverpool can show you is that we can do that, uh, yeah, and obviously. Sure. We did it most famously in the semis, uh, not to not to drop it <laughs> in, but I, I, I always well, got to run that in. Well, in, in I always got to include it. Exactly, exactly. We we are the comeback kings, so uh, it's it's disappointing that we didn't do it against Real, but it, it is what it is. We just got to focus on getting our top four position now. Yeah, I mean, I mean speaking of that top four position, I'm glad you touched it. I was going to bring it up, and it, it's interesting. Will Liverpool even make the top four this year? Which is crazy. I mean, you look back at the last few seasons to think Liverpool might not make the top four this year. Three points off West Ham in fourth. That's also pretty crazy. I wouldn't have thought that I'd be saying that at the start of the season. Will you make the top four? Is that, if you don't, you don't get Champions League football next year. So that's the only way to do it. Well, yeah, I uh, expected us to edge against edge it against Real and we didn't. And I'm also kind of expecting us to get top four. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if I've cursed it with my expectations again and actually... Uh, see if we can get it. I, you know, the chances there, uh, exactly like it was against Real. The chances are there, there to take. Hopefully, now we got to also, unfortunately, because we're in the position that we are, got to rely on other teams and kind of wish and and hope that other teams can do us a favour. Like kind of like a uh, Newcastle this weekend when when they face West Ham, we got to kind of hope for a bit. You know, West Ham to bottle it a little bit so uh, we can kind of climb up there and and get in and cement Champions League football for next season. Yeah, well, it's actually, I always think about whether, how long Klopp's got now in the Liverpool job. How long is he going to want to stay? Has he achieved all he can, especially after of this season? Oh, I think it's going to be different when fans come back. And that's when we'll see if Jurgen Klopp is really enjoying being Liverpool manager anymore. It's been a hard year personally for him with his mum passing away. Um, but you you kind of get the feeling he hasn't enjoyed this year either. You've got leads on... Well, you've got Leeds on Monday night, I think. That's a tough game as well. They beat Man City 2-1 on the weekend. So you can't really be looking forward to that one. Do you think you can edge it? 
Well, it was a uh, the f- the first time we played them was a tough one, wasn't it? It was the uh, our, our first game of the season actually, and the score I saw I was just like a bit a bit taken aback. You know, newly promoted team and defending champions. I was expecting us to thrash them, but uh, they gave us a close game, and they give a lot of these big teams uh, close games, as that City score suggests. So, you know, of of course I I think we'll win. Uh, I got that confidence at least, but it's not it's not going to be easy once again. Uh, Leeds are just an uh, explosive team. I enjoy watching them play. Um, you know, not when they play us, when they play other teams. Uh, I, I like the way they play football. I like what Bielsa's done there. Um, and hopefully we, we can we can defend everything that they bring in um, and get those three points. So it was really much needed three points. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Bielsa. I really like what he's done at Leeds. And I'm really glad that he hasn't only kept them in the Premier League, but he's done so in, in fine fashion. And I think if West Ham weren't sitting in the position there, and he definitely would have a shout for man through the season. I know that would probably go to Pep Guardiola anyway, but if you're not looking at the league, the league champions, then it has to be between, in my opinion, probably David Moyes and Marcelo Bielsa. Onto my team, Chelsea, and through to the Champions League semi-finals, which is really nice. Uh, we've only been to two finals in my lifetime, so if we can make it one step further, that will be absolutely incredible. I beat Porto, which we should have done, and I'm glad we did. 2-1 on aggregate over uh, the two legs. Lost the second, but I think when you lose in that fashion, you can't really complain. Medi Taremi with the goal of the Champions League so far. <laughs> up there, up there with Gareth Bale's overhead kick, with Ronaldo's overhead kick. Uh, unbelievable, Jeff. I don't think anyone saw that coming, did they? You got it on your Instagram story. I, mean, I, I was shocked by it. No one was expecting it. What, what a banger that was. And uh, yeah, I, I was about to say, I was literally, when I when you brought it up, I was thinking that is just bail against us. Like yeah. it's, it's happened, but you just can't, you can't argue against it. You know, it's, it's nothing your defenders have done, done wrong. It's just the, the strike has been absolutely brilliant. So yeah, it, it was hell of a finish, wouldn't it? But um, all, all sunshines and rainbows for you lot again. You had that, you had that one, one bad game that I could... One bad game that I could uh, could laugh at and <laughs> and roast you for, and, and now you're back. You know, going to Champions League semi-finals. It's not fair. I'm jealous. No, I'm sorry. It's sometimes the way the football world works. It, I guarantee you, we'll go. We'll, we'll have a rough spell when Liverpool are, and are absolutely killing it at the top, and the tables will eventually turn. You can almost guarantee that. Um, yeah, Chelsea. I, I was really, really impressed with. We've got Man City next in the league, the Premier League. I was going to ask before I touch on that game, though, a question that a reporter asked Jurgen Klopp, and Jurgen Klopp didn't really want to answer the question and didn't really give a great answer. Who do you want to win the Champions League now you're out? Do you want City to win? Do you want Chelsea to win? Do you want uh, PSG to win? Have you got someone in mind? Well, I've got two different teams in mind. One team is who I want to win, and the other is who I think will and the first one who I want to win is now Real, right? This is the it's way Real. I look at it. Yeah. Because everyone thinks, oh, you know, if they're the team that's knocked your team out, you want another team to go and get revenge on them and knock them out. But no, I want to lose to the best. That's what you can say about your Champions League campaign last year. You can say, oh, we got thrashed by Bayern, but we lost to the champions. So the it's best. all right. It makes it makes a loss a bit better, doesn't it? So I really want Real to win. Um, but I think PSG... The football they're playing is just unreal, and Mbappe is just levels. Like well, uh, he's he's a outstanding young talent, and obviously, you know, we talk about the new generation of him and Haaland's coming in. 
Um, and I, I think he's leading the way and he could lead them to a, a Champions League final, I think. Yeah, it's a scary prospect, uh, Mbappe and Haaland leading the way. And uh, I was going to say that Pochettino, I suppose he proves his worth. If he goes there and he wins the Champions League and he said in a press conference this week, he's got the players to it would basically be criminal not to win the Champions League with the players he has. Uh, I'd love to see it happen. Uh, I'd love for Poch to prove me wrong. I've always said that He's not that, in my eyes, he's not that impressive. He's never won anything at Spurs. Why is he such a great manager? Couldn't do anything with a great Spurs team at one point. Um, so, yeah, that it's going to be a really interesting Champions League campaign. And I think it will be a Chelsea City final. Uh, and that's a big statement, but I think it will be an all-English final. And what a, what a festival that will be. I mean, could you imagine? Beer, beer gardens open, Chelsea versus Man City in the Champions League final. And uh, hopefully Chelsea will edge it. But I, I have a feeling that, Guardiola will want to make history this year. You, you'll you'll just have to do me one favour and make sure that this British final is much more exciting than the last one between us and Spurs. <laughs> it was over, I, in, it, over in three minutes, was it, that final? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you could say so. <laughs> Honestly, mate. Although I'm so happy with the win, obviously, you know, uh, when, one of the best things we've accomplished in however many years... But the actual manner in which we went about winning it wasn't the most exciting. So you're going to have to make sure that uh, you really step that up and play a lot uh, better quality football. So, uh, the reaction will be far more exciting. I'll tell you that much. Where if Chelsea bag a goal in the Champions League final, uh, the scenes will be absolutely unreal. Beers will be thrown around everywhere. Uh, let's go on to, speaking of beers being thrown around everywhere, let's go on to James Madison, who uh, was, <laughs> <laughs> was that... Uh, was caught at a party, apparently hiding from Brendan Rodgers uh, or whoever walked into the room. I, I don't really know the full, full ins and outs, but essentially uh, James Madison broke COVID rules, went to a party and was dropped by Brendan Rodgers, the Leicester City manager. Uh, they're kind of disciplining him internally. It's going to have an effect on his England career. And uh, what I think is really interesting is how the media handled it and it can't have helped James Madison at all. But then at the same time, it's a journalist's job to report a news story like that. And it, it would be criminal not to. It's a really interesting story. Uh, when you're a journalist, how wary are you of what you're writing? The impact it's going to make on, some, make on someone's career like Madison. Will he play for England? Probably not. And giving his take on the Madison story from a journalistic point of view was Paul Haywood. I think he was four times sports writer of the year in this country uh, until recently the chief sports writer at the Daily Telegraph. Here's what he had to say as a journalist, how wary he is when he writes a story about a certain player, the impact that's going to have on that said player. If your approach is to write um, sensibly and not make it personal and stick to the facts and not persecute somebody from making a mistake, uh, then I think I think it, I think you're fine. There will be a school of journalism that will seek to persecute someone for making a mistake. And obviously, uh, every journalist is probably very severe on somebody at some point in their career. It sort of it goes with the territory in a way, because, you you know, you have to sometimes you have to, um, you know, come down and say, well, this is sort of um, unacceptable or whatever. And, that, and that's a that's a common position to take in journalism. But. Uh, I think James Madison would be more worried about the consequences from um, his own club, from the England setup in Gareth Southgate, and and indeed these days from social media than he would um, anything he would see in traditional media. You know, there might a columnist might 
um, sort of denounce him for being irresponsible. But that, in some ways, would be the least of his problems. His bigger problem would be, one, the effect on his England career, two, uh, the reaction of his club, Leicester City, and, and three, the kind of ferocious feeding frenzy you see now on social media when someone steps out of line. And that's, that's, that's a bigger threat to um, somebody's health and well-being, I think, than, than any of it. Although the thing he will care most about is whether it's affected his chances of playing for England at the European Championship. I personally don't think he would have been picked anyway. He's an extremely good player, but he's he's just there are, there are even better players ahead of him in the queue, and I think he was going to be one of the ones who missed out. And this um, misdemeanour in relation to the COVID restrictions has just really clinched that argument. And I think he, I certainly don't think he'll be in the squad now, and I don't think he would have been in before. But uh, he will learn from it, you would hope, and there will be a way back into the England team at some point. But. Uh, he's got to get back into the Leicester team and back into favour with Brendan Rodgers first. Paul Hayward there speaking about James Madison from his expert uh, journalistic angle. It, it is a really interesting story. And I, I was listening to Simon Jordan on TalkSport speaking about this, Max. And Simon Jordan was quite rightly made the point that these kids from the age of 14, 15 are told that they're better than everyone. They're in their own elite bubble. They play in front of uh, 40,000 people every week who are hailing them uh, with praise, who absolutely adore them that's not normal they don't live in a normal world they don't live in a normal culture or society they drive sports cars they're paid uh, millions of pounds a year but at the same time they're expected to act like normal people they're expected to act like people our age in their early 20s and look we're at university we know people that make mistakes like people and boys in their 20s make mistakes it happens no one's denying it uh, and no one can say it doesn't when James Madison does it that's his England career potentially over. Will he go to the Euros? If he doesn't, will he ever get a look in again? Uh, he's on the front and back pages of every newspaper. It's interesting. What's your take on it? Well, to be honest, I can understand what uh, Simon Jordan's saying there. And it, it is a good point he raised. You know, it kind of, when, when you say that, it reminds me of, like, you know, you hear all the, the stories about, um, like, Disney, Disney stars who were like, um, big famous stars as kids and then when they actually grow up to be adults they have like just a horrible time like gr- growing up and like have a lot of mental struggles and I think that also uh you know as Simon Jordan said kind of comes in uh with the trade of football a bit you know their egos built up their profiles built up and yeah they don't lead normal lives but they lead good lives you can't you can't say just because of um yeah, of, course, of, yeah. of all that fame and all that pressure you know that they're they're not uh, in, enjoying a privileged life, I, I like to think most of them uh, are happy with with the way they go about, with the amount of football and, and money they play and get. So I, I understand that, but look, I can't, I can't really have it. You, you know, he's expected to act like a professional for the lifestyle that he gets given to him for what he works for. I'm not saying that he gets it because of nothing. Obviously, he works hard for it. Just he, he gets those privileges and is asked one one little favour to be professional. That's that's all it takes. That's, that's all that matters. Just just one one bit of professionalism from him and he can't even maintain that. So, you know, you, you can be sympathetic with him, but it, I, I can't I can't really take that stance. Uh, and, and this time, I think it's just, uh, I'm quite disappointed. I think it's a poor show and poor performance uh, for him to, to be breaking COVID rules when it's so easy not to. Well, 
I guess I say is it's it's not easy not to, is it? You know, I, I understand the temptation. I, I am being a bit bit too cold on him there, but I understand you know, your it, point. It's, it's only one thing he's asked to do out of all the other things he gets. Yeah. That's I, I understand your point. When you're that privileged, it's it, it's not that hard to act professional. If that's the only thing you're being told to do, I mean, that's not exactly the hardest thing you're being told to do right there, acting professional. And you should be anyway. Uh, as a professional athlete, sportsman, whatever you are in life, you should act uh, as professional as you can when you're in the public eye. And it, you're, it, it is hard to have sympathy with him, especially after the casino incident. Uh, and I, I remember that was a big talking point. And Henry Winter came into university and we spoke to him about it. And all, all of the big boys were speaking about it at the time when he went into that casino when he was meant to be injured on an international duty. So it's not like he hasn't put a foot wrong before. And then you can also get back to the Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden story. But uh, Phil Foden, the golden boy of English football right now, people are saying he's the next Paul Gascoigne. So it is, it's a hard one uh, where you're right. Do you feel, can, can you really feel sympathy for some someone in uh, his luxurious position or not? Uh, but there you go. It's, I'm glad Paul touched on it and uh, his take was fascinating on, on whether you should be wary about about someone when you're writing about them in a, in a national newspaper. He's also a big boxing fan, Mr Hayward. Here's what he had to say on covering possibly the world's most beautiful sport. I was covering quite a lot of boxing at a time when there were great stories and great people to write about, great personalities. I did you know, a lot of Lennox Lewis heavyweight title fights, Mike Tyson, Riddick Bowe, Evander Holyfield, um, uh, Nassim Hamid, Chris Eubank, Nigel Benn. I covered a, a lot of their fights. And I think the beauty of, of boxing journalism is that uh, the, the people you're dealing with are so interesting and they are so... Uh, they are so open and they'll engage with you and they'll, they'll talk and they've got, they've all got fascinating life stories and they all need to talk to you because boxing needs to sell itself. It needs to sell pay-per-view sales and tickets. So it's in the interest of fighters to talk and to, to, to be available to the press, you know, in the build-up to fights. The more they talk, the more publicity they get, the more publicity they get, the more income the fight is likely to generate. So there's an incentive for them. And, and you can sit down with a boxer, for example, whether it's, you know, Evander Holyfield or Mike Tyson or someone. And, and at the end of that half an hour or an hour, you just look at your tape recorder and you know it's, it's just it's full of gold because, because they can talk about life and struggle and physical risk in a way that uh, not many other sports people can because it's so extreme and it's a kind of, let's face it, it's a, it's a life or death um, endeavour and boxers don't come from privileged backgrounds. So they have, um, they'll show you a different side of the world. And so I think some of my most enjoyable days and experiences in journalis journalism have, have been uh, to do with sitting down with fighters, listening to them, watching them, and certainly then seeing them go into the ring and put themselves on the line in a, in a world title fight, which always feels like, you know, is about the most dramatic thing you can watch because there's so much at stake. It's, it's, a, it's an incredibly um, um, compelling business, and I've, I've just got huge respect for fighters, boxers, because, you know, they give, they give more than anybody, really, um, in pursuit of what they do. I hope that inspires you to go and want to, want to write about boxing. It's not always, it's not always edifying, obviously, um, but it's, it's, it's certainly fascinating. And it's it, probably no coincidence, actually, that the, the, some of the best, very best sports writing 
is about boxing because of the people and because of how extreme and intense it is you know there's so much good boxing writing and i think that's i think that's why really so uh if you can get into that you're doing well so refreshing and uh, so nice to hear someone speak so passionately about boxing and it really is a wonderful sport uh, to cover as paul touched on there our boxing segment this week is huge another exclusive we've got uh, neve campbell on she is a female boxing expert a boxing expert in general she's a freelance boxing writer who also writes for Boxing Geary. Max and I are chief editors there, so uh, go check out Boxing Geary. Cheeky plug. And she joined us on this week's boxing segment. Neve, thank you for your time. You are, uh, like us, a, a boxing reporter, however Irish, and the Pride of Ireland has her next fight coming up in May with Natasha Jonas. Katie Taylor, of all people, is putting her undisputed titles on the line. What do you make of that fight? I really actually like Tasha. I thought Tasha beat Terry in that last fight. And a lot of people thought that, you know, it was it was a draw and a lot of people were happy with the draw. But a lot of people, including myself uh, on social media, were saying, well, it was either a draw or Tasha won. And I was like, well, by that standard, then Tasha did win. You know what I mean? And I think Terry even knows that as well. So I think that put Tasha in good stead for this fight with Katie. If Katie wasn't, like, obviously I feel like I need to support Katie, but... Tasha's going in as underdog and I always feel like you, you always sort of drift towards you want to support the underdog if Katie wasn't from where I'm from and wasn't such a big role, like role model for me I think I'd be supporting Tasha but I definitely think no matter what happens it's going to be like a really great scrap like even worthy of any meal bout as well I think they're both going to go toe-to-toe like they're definitely not afraid either of them yeah definitely and um I, I know what you mean about the underdogs. You, you always want the underdogs to win because it's quite, well, it's a lot more rare nowadays. Like we actually get a 50-50 fight. So um, you, you always want to get behind them. But And, and I guess, you know, did, did you see this fight? Because a lot of Katie Taylor's fights have been, you, you kind of expect her because of, you know, her outstanding ability. You kind of expect her to cruise past opponents. So are you writing her off? Are you writing Tasha Jonas off? Are you thinking... That um, you know, because Katie's so experienced, uh, I'm not sure what problems Jonas can can do to her. I think I know that both they both fought each other in the amateurs, and Katie beat Tasha in in 2012, and they went on to get gold. But I know that the fight was pretty, like Tasha gave her as good. You know, Tasha wobbled Katie with a few left. You know, like definitely sent her head back flying. I think I don't know, like. I think Tasha Jonas even said this herself whenever she was doing Pondergy. She was like, "I don't want to always bring up Pursuit, but." Pursuing is a pursuing was scary. Anyone else against pursuing, they would have got absolutely annihilated. Like Kitty was just like the matrix in there. Pursuing was just like constantly coming after like a monster, and Kitty just handled it so well. I don't think Tasha Jonas has that same strength or even the ability to look that monstrous, but I do think I think she'll provide a lot of problems because Kitty. This is absolutely no offense to Kitty or anything, but like I'm like as you guys know women's boxing there isn't a large there isn't a large pool of talented fighters to pick from there's obviously more upcoming fighters coming through now but even like with the likes of that world title fight with um Shannon Courtney and Ebony Bridges like I know there it's widely criticized of why was it even a world title fight but it's because you know there are a lot of these talented fighters Katie is definitely the most talented out of all of them but it's kind of unfair to her as well because she's not being put up against the best matches because there is no best match for her because it's such a minority sport. But I do think Tasha Jonas is definitely one of those people that will definitely 
one of the best match fights in, in terms of those two. Um, they're both they both definitely love toe to toe. And Tasha's a really silky southpaw as well. I think that will provide a lot of problems. It'll definitely be one of the more interesting, more well matched fights. And at the same time, like Kitty Taylor isn't exactly. She, she doesn't slobber, you know, she doesn't, she's not exactly a trash talker, so she doesn't attract people to fights in that way. Whereas, but because she's so well known in Ireland, all the Irish will watch her. And then because Tasha is so well known, even now from doing punditry on Sky Sports and because of her bout with Terry and how well that went and even the beef they have, I think that it'll be probably the most, probably the most interesting fight of Katie Taylor's to watch yet, I think. Um, again, I will be rooting for Katie, but I, I could see it. I couldn't. I don't know. You say that now and then the fight will happen and we never know, like Katie could absolutely hammer. But I don't think Katie will knock her out. I do think it will go all 10 rounds. Yeah, it's a, I mean, as you said, it's it's a a top, when it comes to their ability and and their technicality, it's a a top-notch fight, isn't it? Because both of them are Olympians, uh, both of them in the the same way from from when they fought each other in the Olympics. So it it definitely has that and has that history behind it and that story. But um, you, you mentioned Pursuit there. I, to me, I think that is that looks like the most difficult opponent Katie's had to face, and I wasn't too convinced on, you know, the first or the second. I guess you could give it either way. It's much like the uh, Jonas and Harper fight, you, you could say. So, do, do you think it's worth a trilogy fight now, um, with with Pursuit seen as as neither of those fights to me were were that convincing, or or do you think she she's done enough to kind of move past that now and and kind of call that end that chapter in her career? I think I wasn't too convinced by the first fight either. Actually, the second fight I did I did think Katie won it. Um, but again, like I know what you mean. Like Persuna is just it's just the style in which she fights that you just think, oh my god, like she's just amazing. Like you'd be terrified of her in the ring. Um, I don't know if it's worth because if it had been even like a draw or in the first one and then Katie won or even like Persuna won one and Katie won one, maybe there would be a trilogy. But I think Katie's. Like, I think Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and Katie's team will just think, no, like, we're past that now. There's so many people looking to fight Katie Taylor. There's so many people she could fight. Like, she is literally, like, the cash cow. Um, Like, I don't know if you guys know what, um, Jessica McCaskill, she's, like, she's undisputed welterweight world champion now. And, like, she fought Katie Taylor in 2017 and Katie beat her. But um, whenever she got uh, all her undisputed welterweight belts, she beat Cecilia Brackhouse. And that was, like... Cecilia Brackhouse held all those belts for like 12 years or something so that was mad but like it still wasn't it's it didn't sell the way like a Katie Taylor fight could so now she's calling Katie Taylor out again like I think she's looking she says she'll come back down to lightweight to fight Katie again so there's another undisputed world champion in a different weight class looking to fight Katie so why and there's uh, the options are limitless like everyone wants a piece of her because they know she's how they'll get their money so I think whether like, I wouldn't mind seeing Pursuit fight Katie again, but, like, we're actual boxing f- fans. Maybe the, the casual boxing fan probably wouldn't care. So I don't think it's worth her time or the team's money and the management's money to to arrange it again because they're just... She could literally... She could fight men, do you know what I mean? Men could come looking the money off the Katie Taylor fight, so I don't think she'll go back there. You've got Katie Taylor in, in Belfast. Uh, I've got Shannon Courtney in Watford. And she brushed aside Ebony Bridges. We touched on it a bit earlier you said yourself you don't think either of those two boxers could take on Katie Taylor and win. But on Saturday night, it was it was a great fight for the WBA Bantam title. And I know Bridges thought it was closer than uh, Courtney did with that unanimous decision. But were you shocked 
with the way it panned out. But I thought people, I think a lot of people would have thought it would have been closer. I, I thought it was closer. I did try, I don't actually have them score cards on me. I did try scoring the fight, but then in the second half, had like half a bottle of wine and I kind of forgot about it. Like, oh, I've missed that round. But um, in the first, like in the first five or six rounds, I did, like I gave, and I was surprised, like, don't get me wrong, like you try to go in as unbiased as you can, but I did, did have particularly a huge Courtney fan. I do like her, but I really wanted her to win. But in the second, third, and fourth rounds, maybe I was like, I think I gave the second and the third round to Bridges, and the fourth was was pretty tight. And I was, don't get me wrong, the fight itself wasn't massively skillful. Like it wasn't a great show no. of boxing by any means. It was a brawl, and Shannon Courtney got dragged into a brawl because her head movement is usually really good, but she kept letting herself get dragged into. And I was like, you know, whenever um like Ebony's eye went in the in the later rounds, I was like just focus on that eye but she, you know she was swinging from everywhere because she was just getting so like angry by it um I do definitely think she deserved a win but yes I was surprised at Ebony's resilience um even when her eye did close over I was like for, like wasn't it da- Daniel Dubois like he couldn't well, see it was I and the fight got stopped but they let her go on and she tore on <laughs> that's what I was were you surprised that's what I was gonna say I was gonna mention the Dubois Joyce fight because when the eye I think the eye looked worse than Daniel Dubois Oh my god, hundred percent. And even like, I thought it was a bit irresponsible of the ref. I know, obviously, the, like she said, I think she said at the end in an interview, she was like, "Oh, I kept looking at the, the doctor, and I was like, please donn't come near me, please don't stop this fight.'" But you could like really hear her saying to her corner, "I can't see it in my eye before the last round." I was like, "This should probably be stopped because like you can do a lot of a fist can do a lot of damage to an eye even in the last two minutes." And the ref had to go on. Um, I think obviously she is fine, but I was surprised, and I was like. You know, there's plenty of lads, uh, you know, that like are, are really good amateur boxers and they, you know, they're top level and they wouldn't go on with their eye like that. No. So she definitely, she has a lot of grit, she, like a fair player and she can box, but again, it, she probably didn't deserve the world level chance anyway. Do you know what I mean? But it was really entertaining. I was really entertained. I was like up off the sofa and everything. And that's really what it's about. Like boxing's an entertainment business. So it was good. Like, well, I know Steve Bunt said it was probably the best women's fight that this country has ever seen in England. And uh, it's hard not to agree with him. Uh, with uh, Emily uh, Ebony Bridges' eye, she compared it to another part of her body in terms of size. And that's what I wanted to ask you about, how this fight was advertised. Because <laughs> Courtney said that Bridges sold the fight the wrong way, which... Uh, I had a conversation with you over Instagram about this and, and we were discussing it. And for Max and I, it's really hard to say as two male journalists, it, it's hard to put a take on how the fight was advertised. We really wanted to ask you about it. What was your thoughts on uh, how Bridges came across advertising that fight, getting fans in? Did, was it the right way to get fans in? <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard question to ask. I know. And I'm, like, I'm just smiling because um, on, on our, my boyfriend and I, like we're both sports journalists and we have a podcast and we talk about this, like if I don't mention Ebony Bridges, maybe every other week, but then I'm like, she's doing something right. Because if I'm constantly talking about her, even though I'm getting wound up about it, I'm still talking about her. Whereas I'm not talking about maybe female boxers who are a bit quieter and who aren't selling their fights in that way. Um, at the end of the day, the fight, the fight was sold. 
and fans wanted to watch it because of that reason. Ebony Bridges knew what she was doing. You know, Rachel, but she was very fortunate in that Rachel Ball, like poor Rachel Ball. Um, I think they're actually really good mates. She got sick and Ebony was first in line and she is not first in the rankings. I know like yeah. fights don't always, you know, are more deserving in the rankings, don't get picked. But Ebony was like ninth or something. Shannon was like eighth, I think. Um, so neither of them were really deserving. But Shannon Courtney, I feel, is like made out to be Matchroom's golden girl, like because she's blonde and she's very you know, story as well. stereotypically. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, she's got a great backstory, and they're re- like she doesn't really have to sell herself because Matchroom really do that very well for her, and they like do the best PR, and you know, she's always in different podcasts and different shows. Ebony, obviously, uh, boxing female boxing is not as big in Australia, and she does it all on her own. Um fair play her I know she was a bodybuilder for many years beforehand so she's like really used to the whole getting on stage in bikinis and you know flaunting her stuff and whatever and that's grand I just feel like and I wrote an article for for you guys for Boxing Guru about this as well there's already enough like Instagram influencers and photoshopped celebrities and people out there on social media that portray themselves in the way that Ebony Bridges portrays herself and I just feel like when it comes to like sports and especially boxing, which is like quite a minority women's sport, and you're trying to get more females into it. Why do you need to be pushing that portrayal there as well? And you know, she tries to, she's like, she's pandering to her male fans, and that's all well and good. But it's like, why not just focus on that? And then she's like, oh, but I can't show that Barbies can box too, and you can be feminine. And, and boxing's like, but that's, no one cares. Like, that's not, we just want to see that you can box. No one actually cares that you've, like, fake boobs and, and peroxide blonde hair like yeah. maybe maybe the guys do but like I don't know but then, I don't know if I'm like being anti-feminist by saying that because she should have the right to you know portray herself whatever she wants so it, it is a hard one but she knew what she was doing and she did she came and put on a good fight so credit where credit's due but Bar- Barbie can box <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, she clearly she can box. Uh, she didn't win the fight, so maybe uh, not too well. But going back to what Bunt said, the biggest fight, biggest women's fight in English boxing history. What what did that fight do for women's boxing uh, on the whole? I think it definitely look any any women fighting on a match room, um, you know, undercard or whatever. It's like match room Sky Sports is the best of the best and the biggest of the biggest, and it was it wasn't pay per view, so you know if anyone was just watching Sky on Saturday night and happened to flick over, you know, that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant exposure. Um, it's brilliant for we girls, like any sport to see, you know, oh, I can I can fight too. Like, you know, the whole like fight like a girl thing. Um, why can't I do this? Why can't this be an option? Um, and the fact that, okay, yeah, maybe if you are a girly girl and you're in the makeup and, and dyeing your hair blonde and all that sort of stuff, and you can see that, you know, maybe that's Ebony's point as well. Like, oh, well, I can still do that as well and still be a boxer and be athletic. Um, you know, I I coach at an amateur boxing club and some days we would go out, uh, well, pre-COVID, um, on like community days out and I would like have little pink gloves and little pink pads to try to like encourage little girls to come over. And sometimes their mums are like, oh, no, no, no. Like they'll let their little brothers come over, but it's like, oh, no, 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 girls don't box and girls don't hit. And like, you know, that is just a, oh, like a really old, outdated stereotype. So seeing something I'm sorry, I'm looking over here from my TV, <laughs> seeing something like Emily Bridges and Shannon Courtney fight like they did in Saturday night and seeing how much hard work and determination, because that is the thing too. We watch these fights and 
we get really into them, but it's like the tip of an iceberg. You don't see like the 10 weeks of training and sparring and hard work and starving yourself to make weight. You don't see that underneath the surface. And that is what they had to do. And, you know, Shannon, she was the more deserving fighter and she obviously did put the hard work in. So I think it's it's brilliant for um for women's boxing and definitely for encouraging more females into the sport. And hopefully mums can see that and realize that their little girls can do it too. And it's not the worst thing in the world and they do survive. <laughs> no, I, I hope so. I really did. I was speaking to Nancy Brostick, who is one of the athletics uh, correspondents for Sheffield Wednesday. And she's exactly the same viewpoint as you, you are. It's so important to get more women into boxing to push women's boxing as much as we can. So before we um, touch on Savannah Marshall, I'm just going to quickly ask you that to Kay about Shannon Courtney. What's next for her? Will there be a rematch with Rachel Bull? Arguably in the first fight, uh, Shannon was pretty unlucky. I, yeah, well, I think that's what needs to happen. I think whoever won the fight between Bridges and, and Courtney was always going to get the ball fight. Um, I, again, I actually thought um, Shannon won the Rachel Ball fight and I we interviewed Rachel Ball the week before and I, I was actually rooting for Rachel Ball in that fight um I never really mind who wins but I was like oh it'd be great to see because again I thought Rachel Ball was the underdog going in and then we scored the fight and I was like oh Shannon's definitely won that one and like was very surprised whenever the the scorecard came back that Rachel won it um but I, I so I definitely think for that reason because it is quite close it was controversial enough there needs to be a rematch um after that, I really, I don't know. I think there's there's a girl, Shannon O'Connell. She's Australian and she was number one in the, the WBA's actual official rankings. Actually still haven't changed that either since the fight. And she's now been calling Shannon out because, Shannon Courtney out because she's like, well, I deserve that fight more than um, more than Ebony did. So, and she looks like the proper business. She She's won lots of like, um, national Australian competitions I think so that would be really and she's blonde as well not that any any of the blondness or the hair colours has to do anything but it's just funny um, yeah so I think definitely the rematch of Rachel Ball which I do no harm to Rachel expect uh, Shannon to win um, if she wins it like emphatically enough I like there doesn't need to be a trilogy I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone's really that mad looking to see that and then I think maybe someone like that girl Shannon O'Connell because she's already been stirring up some stuff on social media so it could make for you know that sells the fight too you know whenever people trash talk each other so that could be really interesting but I do think that Shannon has a long um like career ahead of her like she does no matter what people say you know they say oh you only had seven fights um you don't even have an unbeaten record and you got that world title shot she does like going by her social media like because I follow her on Instagram and everything she does want it and she does try really hard I think she even looked whenever it was her her, she looked like the one that was more nervous and the one that wanted it more. So I think for that reason, I do think she'll go far. She's got a long, a long bit left in the tank yet. Really interesting future for women's boxing. And uh, the, I think the next year is going to be uh, incredible. I see behind you, you've got the Anfield Road sign. Ebony Bridge is a big Leeds fan. So I'm assuming she'll be watching the same game as you on Monday night. Yeah, probably. Oh, do you know what? Fair play to Leeds as well, because... Um, They've done really well this year, haven't they? But no, Liverpool's having an awful streak at the minute, so we really, really need a win over them. Um, we'll not talk about the, the Champions League last night, but we're doing, as long as we get fourth place, we're doing all right in the Premier League, fingers crossed for now. So hopefully, yeah. <laughs> well, three three points off West Ham, as uh, Max and I were discussing earlier. Max also a Liverpool fan, so uh, if you've just ch- tuned into the podcast midway through, go back and you can uh, listen to, to all things football, Liverpool and Chelsea. But let's go back to the boxing and, 
from Champions League to World Champion. Savannah Marshall defended the WBA World Middleweight Championship very comfortably, a round three knockout against 44-year-old title challenger uh, Maria Lindbergh. It was thrown in at the last minute. And I thought, you know what? I thought from both uh, Savannah and Maria, both really professional and it was always the inevitable that Savannah was going to win, but I thought it was a very professional fight. Yeah, it was. I actually saw, is it like, there's an Irish boxing promoter I follow. I think they're just, I call like Boxing Ireland Promotions. And they tweeted that night saying, why is Savannah Marshall fighting her ma? And I did <laughs> laugh because there's such, I didn't realise the age difference. Um, But no, look, she really, Maria, like like you say, she got thrown in there last minute. Um, She was a four-time world title challenger before yes, so sorry. i think she's well well used to the, yeah well used to the game um probably knew what to expect uh savannah savannah just needed to stay active i think savannah knew rightly herself too she was like i just needed to go in here to to have a bit of practice essentially um yeah i really enjoyed savannah savannah gets called the silent assassin because she's meant to be shy but we interviewed her on our podcast and we were expecting it. To, we were going in like, oh, we're going to have to, it's going to be like dragging blood out of stone trying to get her to talk to us. And she's so not. She's And I think she proved that in the post-fight interview when she called Clarissa. It was like, there's nothing shy about her. She, you know, once you get her going. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm sort of done with the the journey woman. No offense um, to to um, Maria Lindbergh or anything like that. Even Savannah would have, um, Femke, can't remember her name, the girl she was meant to be fighting, Savannah would have knocked her out too, I'm pretty sure. So I'm all about the Clarissa Shields fight now for Savannah. Um, Savannah Marshall, in my opinion, apart from Kitty Taylor, is the best in women's boxing at the minute worldwide. She, I know Clarissa, well, it all depends on the fight with Clarissa, but I do, like Savannah is a beast, like, well, it would be rude not to ask you now about Clarissa. You've teed it up so nicely. And that's the fight everyone wants to see. Marshall was the only person to ever damage uh, Clarissa Shields. It was, it was in the amateurs, but the only loss I believe Clarissa Shields has ever had was against Savannah Marshall. Uh, Shields is the WBC, IBF, WBO, WBA World Super Welterweight Champion. So she's got an incredible CV. How do you see that fight going if, if the two went to war in the ring? I... I think because they're both, like I say, sort of like complete beasts. Savannah Marshall's abs just seem like a brick, like you couldn't get through them. I don't know if they're both sort of knockout artists, aren't they? But I don't know if there would be a knockout. I could see it going the whole distance. I'd, it'd be cool to see it going the whole distance because of what a what a show that would be to watch. Um, I would like to say um, a TKO by, by Savannah Marshall in the later rounds, um, but... I really, I really don't know. I feel like I'm like oh, Savannah would will beat her because I feel like Savannah Marshall is completely in Clarissa Shields' head. Clarissa Shields is not all there in the head. She's just, she's so she again is another one who knows how to sell fights because she just says these mental things. Like she came out and she said that she could beat any man, and of course that got all the male boxers into a frenzy, and they all like. But she's just right for doing it because you know now then their followers will see them treating her back and. Um, I know she's going to do this stint in MMA, but she does. I think I saw her tweet. I actually thought she was afraid, not afraid, but just like didn't want to ruin or even jeopardize her, you know, her record by going in against Savannah. Because I think Savannah is or would be like the closest match that Clarissa would get in the ring to actually being tested. But she tweeted, I think she tweeted Eddie Hearns after the fight being like, you know, you, ha- you know what to do. You know how to make it happen now. Um, talk is cheap until the fight's made. 
is made um you know i'll be like oh a bit skeptical about whether it will happen or not but yeah if she goes and does her mma stint and then comes back uh and and gets it gets a date set might i think that would be massive for women's boxing that one fight in particular because it's um us and the uk and like you said both really well respected boxers like clarissa is she's like the only person male or female to have all four belts in yeah two i believe weeks. so believe like so. that is insane so getting that sort of exposure on, on female boxing and just because of all the trash talking she does do and because of the history with the amateurs because the whole thing is like oh savannah always holds it over her that she beat her in the amateurs but then clarissa's whole thing is like well i have two olympic gold medals and mm. you were there both times and you didn't get either so it would be great because i feel like that would settle that debate too so there's so much history i'd be so excited i'd be i'd be more excited for that fight than than katie taylor and, and tash and katie taylor and anyone to be honest i'd be more excited for savannah and clarissa Oh, amazing. That's the perfect way to end uh, end uh, our chat. Um, Neve Critley, how can we find your podcast, your Instagram? Where can we find your stuff? Yeah, so we are, uh, myself and my boyfriend Lee, we are His and Hers Boxing on Twitter and Instagram at His and Her Boxing. And we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the streaming platforms. Neve Campbell there uh, speaking to the middlemen. We love her accent. We love her energy. Neve, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed that chat about all things women boxing. Uh, look, we had Paul Hayward on earlier, Max, and he covered a few talking points. And what we try and do is, is I, I suppose, show journalism in the best light that we can. And if you're listening, you think you, you want to do what Max and I do, the first off, I'd recommend taking a sports journalism course at uni. In terms of after university, whether you want to specialise or whether you want to generalise, Paul Hayward gave some really good advice. Here's what he had to say. Well, I, I started out by specialising. I was a I was a racing writer, uh, racing journalist, and then I branched out from there. So I think it's actually very difficult to start as a general sports writer. The very few employers are going to say to you, OK, there's 10 sports, go and cover them all. In a way, you kind of earn the right to to be a generalist by learning the ropes and the trade in a particular sport, and then you can um, move on from there. A lot of people will... Will, will cover one sport for say five years and think right I need a change now I want to I want to move on I want to develop and they'll move into sometimes one other sport you know they'll go from golf to tennis or to, to cricket or whatever it is but some lucky people end up going to all those sports and they're not covering them the whole time but they will be they will be sent to the kind of the major events so again you know you're not going there as the ball by ball expert you're going there as the person who can write a kind of, uh, you know, a colour piece or a, a feature piece or an analysis piece on a particular player or a story in the game. And that's a, that's a more kind of discursive piece for the reader to sit alongside the piece that tells you, you know, what happened in that day's play. It's very competitive, that's for sure, because um, access is limited, of course. You know, they don't, they're not, not unlimited numbers of accreditations or tickets for journalists from the same organization so the the sports editor will always decide what the particular needs are they might think well i've well the, the match reporter you know the correspondent really say the football correspondent you know henry winter jason burt sam wallace these guys john cross they will they will always um They look for a major for a football match because they are the they're the voice of the football coverage and they've got the the automatic right to the first ticket if you like and then there's a scramble after that you might want to send a news reporter 
uh, or a news specialist uh, to make sure you're covered on the on the reaction side and the news stories around the game. And then the the feature writer, the the commentator or analyst or whatever you want to call them, is is third on that list. Um, and if the and if there are only two tickets available, it tends to be the the feature writer who misses out. Um, but it's it's yeah it's it's a, it's a there's a there are a few elbows involved. There's a bit of jostling um, to get into the game sometimes. Paul Hayward there with a second talking point. He discussed boxing, James Madison. If you go uh, back to the start of the podcast, but that that was really interesting for us as well personally, Max, because we're at the point now in our careers where we're starting to think if we want to generalize in journalism or if we want to specialize in a certain sport, go down uh, one certain avenue. What are your thoughts at the moment? Have you thought about what you want to do when uni finishes in terms of where you want to go in journalism? Well, of course, you you have your two favourite sports and that's what everybody jumps at. Some people even jump at um, their first favourite sport, uh, which tends to be a football. Uh, you'll see with a lot of our classmates. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that I uh, have the passion. I think with, with the way it's looking and how immersed I am, uh, I am in in the sport. I think specialising uh, in 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 that sector is is going to be what's best. And I, I think it's it's where I see myself. You know, we always um, people starting out careers have these three to five to ten year plans. And I think if if I was to have that ten year plan, I see myself fully reporting on boxing. So um, that's yeah, that's I think where my head's at right now. What about yours? Well, I knew you'd say that, and, and you are the most knowledgeable guy I know about boxing. So it would be. Really rude not to go down that road and uh, to absolutely smash it. The next Mike Costello you're listening to right here on this podcast. Um, I don't know. Per- <laughs> personally, I'm not sure. I'm still at the point where I know the, the access in boxing is far greater than football. And I think perhaps even the chance of succeeding in boxing is you've got more of a chance in that sport than in football. But I still don't know. Uh, thinking about it and enjoying this every week. So, that's how I get my sports fix, my uh, broadcasting fix. And if you are listening and you want to become a journalist or you want to do what we're doing, then I, I can only speak for myself, but I can't recommend uh, the Uni of Derby sports journalism course high enough, highly enough. And uh, we've got a few bonkers lecturers, including Niall Hickman, if you go back and listen to, to one of our earlier podcasts with Niall. But episode three. Episode three. Episode three with Niall. Uh, but that wraps up the podcast, really, for this week. So... Listen, what what a podcast we've had. What an episode with Paul Hayward. One of the best journalists in the country. Paul, thank you so much for coming on. And Neve Campbell as well. Uh, the energy from Neve is, I think it'll have you off your seat for the rest of the evening. So thanks, guys, for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe and go down to the pub. Have a beer on us. Just to echo Noah there, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. And shouts to both of our guests. A couple of great guests we had on in this first double episode. So, yeah, thank you to them. Stay safe, guys. Stay responsible. And now, uh, luckily, drink responsibly as well. Have a good one and we'll see you next week.